Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the WTF1 podcast. Yes, switched it up. That time when edition. Yes, we are throwing back once again to some old school Formula One. Back to 2004 this year. And of course, joining me in the time capsule that is that time when is, of course, the WTF1 founder, Tom Bellingham. Uh, I was going to ask you, Tommy, if you're going to enjoy uh, reminiscing about this, but I feel like I may well reminisce more, reminisce more, reminisce and enjoy more of this particular occasion. Yeah, this one's for you, really. It took a, normally we don't tend to throw it back this far, but the French Grand Prix, it was difficult to find a good race. Um, So we went all the way back to 2004 for something interesting to talk about. Although, to be fair to the French Grand Prix, it was off the calendar for most of like the 2000s. So exactly the only yeah. real good race after after this one was last year but can't really throw back to, to last, last year. year it's a bit, no. bit too soon no so today we are going to be doing that time when schumacher won with a four stop strategy now i was just thinking actually that speaking about this particular strategy which of course has kind of gone down in the history books as you know a masterclass from ferrari i know ferrari masterclass um and I'm now thinking if this happened in 2022, unless there was 73 overtakes for the lead, it would just be seen as another, just another race, isn't it? Like I feel like our perception of what a good race is has changed a lot since 2004. 100%. I mean, this race, we'll go into it, but Formula One, particularly mid-2000s, however much people get nostalgic over the engine noise and all that kind of stuff, the racing was pretty dull. And part of this whole strategy is because the cars just couldn't overtake. Simple as that. Like, no DRS, no Pirelli tires of, like, huge tire wear to make things, even though it's a full stop. But it's just, yeah, crazy, uh, crazy era where all the overtaking was pretty much done in the pits, hence the, uh, the strategy from Ferrari. And, yeah, very weird to talk about. Ferrari strategy, that's how long ago it was when they were amazing at it. <laughs> yeah. uh, so let's take a look back at what Formula One was like in 2004. Michael Schumacher was only a six-time champion at the time. And 2004 was very much um, one of, well, probably one of my favourite Ferrari cars, just purely because it was absolutely unbelievable. Um, we also had in 2004 um, that Schumi had beaten uh, Raikkonen and Montoya to uh, a close four title in 2003. Wasn't so close in 2004, though. Ferrari just were winning everything. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's, to put it mildly, uh, Schumacher up until this point, Australia first, Malaysia first, Bahrain first, Imola first, Spain first. He retired from Monaco and then first at Nürburgring, first at Canada, first at USA, and then, well, as the title said, he won this race as well. So very dominant at the start of the season, to say the least. And it was turning away a lot of fans, not me. I was absolutely loving it, but it was turning (laughs) away a lot of fans, you know, this Ferrari-Schumacher dominance, and uh, as we mentioned, overtaking very difficult and yeah, it just the fact. I think the fact is that Schumacher actually won a, a hardly contested, as in an actual difficult, difficult uh, race uh, for once in this 2004 season. That we're kind of like, oh yeah, this is exciting. Yeah, the French Grand Prix, Magnicor, uh, you know, the likes of Hamilton and Vettel have spoken out saying there are better races than Paul Ricard uh, in France, and I think they are very much alluding to, to Magnicor being being one of them. Um, I'm not so sure, and it's got more character to it for definitely. 
I'm not sure how yeah. well Magni Core in the iteration that we're looking back in 2004 would do, how well that would do in 2022. It's a very narrow track. It wasn't known as being a particularly good racetrack either. I think people just get nostalgic over it. Although, at the end of the day, I think better regs that we have now, there would be more overtaking, even though the cars are ridiculously wide. But yeah, Paul Ricard, probably more suited to modern cars, even with that dreadful runoff. That is not, not in my opinion, fun to watch. Uh, so in 2004, uh, you, of course, had refueling in races. Uh, we've reflected on a few that time when's where uh, refueling was allowed. It feels like a long time ago that uh, a hose is put into a Formula One car to give it some, give it some beans. Uh, but not only that, of course, there's a lot of strategy around you know, the, the fuel loads, et cetera, throughout the race, but also the tyre war, as, as Tommy mentioned, it wasn't Pirelli, it was Schumacher on Bridgestones and Fernando Alonso in the, in the Renault on Michelins. And there was this whole debate every single time we'd go to a race, which, which tyre would be the best. And, um, and in Apart fact, from 2004, because it was always this was one it, of the yeah. only races where we did actually have that debate. Because 2003, the Michelin runners did all right, and that's what made the championship close. But this year, Ferrari and Bridgestone did just dominate. But and I think this was the final straw as well, wasn't it? 2004, where the Bridgestones were then to use the uh, young kids nerfed. That's a term, that's a phrase, <laughs> I think. Um, yeah. So give. Uh, yeah, given a lot of a disadvantage uh, going into 2005, 2006, that's when Fernando Alonso obviously started winning uh, his titles. But um, yeah, it's, uh, as you say, uh, the tyre wall was, was interesting to watch. But yeah, 2004 was certainly uh, more in favour of the Bridgestones. Let's take a look at the qualifying then, first and foremost, for this 2004 French Grand Prix. Uh, and the Michelins were actually very much enjoying the track surface around Magnicor. And, and Alonso actually took pole by a quarter of a second uh, from from Schumacher, he did. This was Renault's best chance to win. Really, that the Ferrari was the better car, but the Michelins were really good on one lap pace, and also they were really good at essentially when the tires went on immediately in the pit stop. They would be a lot better at the Bridgestones than sort of like that immediate pace straight away, and that's why in this race Ferrari had to come up with some unusual strategy to kind of counter the fact that the Michelins, one, would be good enough to get pole, because as we mentioned, it was so hard to overtake back then, you pretty much had to do it in the pit stops. Uh, and two, obviously, you know, if they both pit at the same time and Alonso's on the Michelins where, as soon as he puts them on, they're much better at straight out the blocks. Uh, Alonso's just going to stay ahead all the time, so they needed to do something crazy. And, that's and normally we that, that if Ferrari nowadays, them doing something crazy means it's the wrong option. <laughs> but <laughs> yeah. but back, at, back in 2004, you were like, yeah, it's probably going to be the right option and they're going to win again. <laughs> exactly. They had to out-strategize uh, Renault and, and that's certainly uh, what they attempted and, and succeeded. Um, also worth mentioning Alonso's teammate, uh, Jarno Trulli, was, was down in fifth uh, in the Renault after, after qualifying. Um, but that didn't usually matter too much uh, if you were in a Renault because they were known as having the most unbelievable starts from anywhere on the grid. They could make up a handful of positions uh, on lap one. Uh, and that's exactly what we saw at, at the race start of, uh, of this French Grand Prix. Truly got up to third um, by turn one, which you know isn't exactly a long run uh, down towards turn one at Magny Court. Uh, and Fernando Alonso uh, led away uh, from Schumi. So, yeah, it was uh, a Renault 1-3 with, uh, with Michael Schumacher in the middle. Yeah, Renault had 
this this was like the peak of driver aids in the middle of the the mid 2000s where there are traction control and all this and renault developed this launch control system which just meant they were absolute rockets off the line and every race you know they it would be like a guarantee they're making up like three or four spots Uh, if you had a long run down to turn one it would just be perfect for them because it didn't matter where you qualified you're making like three or four spots up every race at the start by the launch control which is quite the advantage in an era when you can't overtake (laughs) (laughs) yeah it was quite the advantage um that uh, that renault had at the start um but truly didn't have the pace really in in this race and alonso and schumacher uh, pulled away from the from the pack yeah yano very good in well i say very good obviously he wasn't particularly great in this uh, particular qualifying but he was known as being quite a a decent qualifier although Sometimes he would just put less fuel in than everybody else so that he'd be at the front. And then he would uh, bring out the Trulli train as it was so, <laughs> yes. so wonderfully known. Um, but, uh, but yeah, Yano didn't have the, the race pace to stay with, with Alonso and Shumi uh, at the start. There's a reason Yano Trulli's only win came at Monaco, basically. <laughs> yeah. That was this year. Uh, put it on pole and just not be overtaken. The button was all over him, but could not pass him uh, no. to save his life. So the first stages of the race, uh, Alonso uh, stayed ahead of Schumacher after the first pit stop. Uh, we had <laughs> Takuma Sato having his uh, usual engine failure, Honda engine, wasn't it? Um, which uh, it was was I looked I looked into this because I remember thinking sometimes you can look back and feel like something happened all the time, and then you look back and you're like, oh no, it only happened twice, but it just felt like it happened all the time. I looked back at Takuma Sato's results in 2004, and the first race he finished ninth. Malaysia had an engine failure. Bahrain fifth. San Marino had an engine failure. <laughs> finished fifth in Spain. Then Monaco had an engine failure. Next race at Nürburgring had an engine failure. Canada, the next race, he had an engine failure. Then the next race, he finished third. And then this was the next race, he had an engine failure. So six out of the nine races, six out of the last nine races, he had engine failures in, um, which is quite extreme for the same the same sort of cause. I know there was a lot of retirements in this era, and it was a lot more common to have problems. But for the same driver... Did Button have as many? Did, no, it didn't happen to Button a lot, which was really weird. And a lot of people said, oh, maybe it's the way he drives the car and maybe pushes it too hard. Um he did have a particularly mad driving style, but um, yeah, just for whatever reason, Sato, it just became a thing where his engine would always go. BAR Honda were good as well, weren't they? They were, they had some decent pace. This a, year, as a yeah, they, they were very good this year, actually. Uh, Jensen Button ended up finishing third in the title. They finished second in the championship. Um, the one year they were really good was when Ferrari were just so dominant out of the way. They couldn't really do anything or even pick up a, a win or anything. So, um, But Jensen Button just got loads of podiums. And uh, yeah, weirdly, McLaren and Williams, who were good the previous year, like you mentioned, that ran it close for Schumacher, just weren't really in the mix at all. So it was just whoever whoever fancied taking it to Schumacher, it, every four or five races, someone would have a go and not succeed. <laughs> <laughs> and then not bother for another four or five. Uh, races uh, other things that went on uh, in the first stage of the race or something to definitely mention was uh one pablo montoya who had a, a lovely little spin out of the final corner and uh it's funny that we were watching the highlights that come from that 
really cheesy F1 season review DVD that I have absolutely definitely watched uh, <laughs> yeah. so much. It's Ben Edwards, isn't it? It does the uh, the voiceover for it. And yeah. uh, the weird of commentary like commentates it's like it's like yeah. exactly. He's like, oh, no, Schumacher's going to have to get a good start here and, and things like that. And you're like, well, this is a review. We know the result. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Yes. There's a picture of Michael Schumacher winning the title on the box. <laughs> yeah. We know what happens. Who's going to win the title? Who knows? Uh, but yeah, Montoya had a spin, uh, which was uh, a little bit embarrassing. Uh, definitely not the yeah. most embarrassing thing that happened in the last sector of this race, which I'm sure we will get onto <laughs> yeah. on the, uh, about the final lap. But yeah, Montoya had a spin, uh, and he was running reasonably high up, wasn't he? And then and then dropped down to ninth, I think it was. Yeah, it, the Williams just was not <laughs> not a good good car this year. Did manage to scrape a, a win in this season, but it wasn't to say that Montoya came really close to the title the previous year. It was a bit of a disaster. It was actually the year they had that walrusy looking knows it was quite quite a famous car if you look back on that yeah not not great for montoya no not good at all uh so then we get to uh the second stops and, and schumacher uh goes for the undercut pit uh, pits again uh first obviously changed tires uh and then goes on the attack uh in which he actually takes the lead uh when alonso makes his second stop but uh, it's key to remember that he is taking a little bit less fuel uh, in order to try and get track position and then really just go for it and um, that was kind of, I, I imagine, because they had thought of this four-stop strategy before the race. This wasn't something they were making up on the fly, was it? No, they, the the whole plan was to keep pitting early and just splash a fuel, get into that lead, because they know that the, the car is quicker. They just need to be in front, which is obviously difficult when, like we said earlier, the, the Michelin tires fire up better. And the, they basically did everything they could to make sure they were not jumped in the stop. So the first pit stop Schumacher pits on lap 11 Alonso on lap 14 he doesn't take the lead uh, and then the second pit stop he pits on lap 29 Alonso pits on lap 32 and this time he does take the lead and then once he's in that position it's just about you know, pitting again there's a bit of a blunder uh, really from Renault would you not think or do you think they just didn't see it coming it just I guess they just didn't see it coming and um, it really did just bamboozle them <laughs> yeah yeah definitely um, but then, you know, you'd think strategists would maybe have thought of every possibility of how they would try and win the race. Like we're talking about the fact that, you know, where the advantages uh, were for, for the Renault in terms of the tyre warm-up and stuff. You just want to keep track position. But, um, I mean, the benefit of hindsight is is wonderful. Uh, so, yeah, Schumacher uh, takes the lead uh, after the second stop. Then the third stops come around. Schumacher pits again first and keeps the lead. So just continues to try and grind away uh, knowing that they're going to do four stops compared to, to Alonso's three. Um, so Alonso has his third stop, takes fuel all the way to the end of the race. Schumacher, on the other hand, at this point, Renault probably know, because, you know, they're all sat on the pit wall, aren't they, with the little stopwatches, counting how many seconds the Ferrari, you know, fuel hoses in the car. Renault at this point are going to go, oh, 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 wow. They're, okay, they're going for another pit stop after this. Yeah, so if Renault were just thinking, all we need to do here is just... Put put the fuel into the end of the race and keep that that gap. Uh, Schumacher pits on lap forty two. Alonso uh, then inherits the lead, and then when he makes his pit stop on lap forty six, Schumacher obviously gets back into the lead, uh, and that's when Schumacher has a very light car compared to Alonso, and it's kind of definitive of this era. There's been a few other races. I think Hungary one year they did something similar to this where it they know that they can put Schumacher in this situation and it's like, right, 
give us 20 quali laps or whatever and just yeah. absolutely go for it. Uh, and that's what he did. And he was, yeah, I mean, that that last, obviously, uh, part of the race was, I think he was <laughs> absolutely flying, wasn't he? He was, he was. He was helped so a little bit much as well. quicker <laughs> uh, yeah, than Alonso. But yeah, there was also a, a moment, I don't know how long Massa blocked Alonso for. No, it wasn't uh, loads, but it is but funny they, <laughs> that Massa was a Ferrari test driver driving for that's what i was uh, thinking ferrari powered sauber team um, didn't get out of the way very quickly did he no um and i do find it funny way. as well looking back at these uh these moments from the race that uh alonso once again during the race deciding to gesticulate <laughs> uh to massa uh, into a braking zone so he's literally breaking one-handed into the hairpin at magnicor and he's uh, gesticulating at Alonso, which, of course, if you remember, uh, in Austria, he did the same to Sonoda uh, this year. So it's something that Alonso years, likes to do. Still the same. Uh, exactly. doesn't change uh, whatsoever. Um, other things that happened uh, after the third stops, Barrichello uh, makes it past Button for, for fourth place and then was right behind Trulli. So I think Button came out the pits, didn't he, and was in between uh, Trulli and Barrichello. Then Barrichello uh, dives up the inside and, and gets past Button, uh, which means that... Uh, Ruben's only one place away uh, from the podium behind Jarno Trulli, who was clearly really struggling uh, towards uh, the end of the race. Yeah, the classic truly race pace. I mean, it, it was one of those races where we see it a lot with teammates. We saw it with Verstappen and Hamilton last year, where, uh, and then it was something that we saw a lot with maybe Michael Schumacher and Hakkinen, where two, the two like drivers just go off into the distance and they finish 20 seconds clear of their teammate and then their their teammates are the ones battling like 20 seconds behind them for the final podium spot. So then the final stages. Uh, Schumacher finally makes his fourth stop after putting in some serious quality laps and emerges back in the lead, uh, which was uh, quite, quite something to watch. Uh, Schumacher ended up winning the race by eight seconds uh, despite stopping four times to Fernando Alonso's three. Uh, and now we move on to one of the most unforgivable bits of driving <laughs> I think I have ever seen. Like this was in 2004, and yet I remember it so crystal clear. Jano Trulli clearly struggling, still in P3 on the final lap of the race. And if you know Magni Core, there's you know the final sort of hardish braking zone is a 90 degree right hander before you go through a little chicane, then you are there at the finish line. So long as you are not dive-bombed into that corner, you are not losing a place on the final lap. Jarno Trulli, for whatever <laughs> reason, and this is probably one of the reasons why he lost his seat, although to be fair as well, his race pace was shocking, um, just leaves the inside open on the final lap. Like he's struggling, just cover the inside. So Barrichello was not going around your outside at that part uh, of that track. Uh, so yeah, Barrichello sees the gap, sends it, passes Trulli on the final lap and takes the uh, the final spot on the podium. <laughs> and uh, yeah, Renault were not happy. No, the fact that, yeah, you're, you're right, because of the way the track goes as well. If Trulli had covered the inside, one, Barry Kelly's not getting around the outside, and two, even if he completely compromises his line, it's a chicane with one line through it, so he's never going to pass him. And it's almost like he discovers it too late, that he's like, oh, oh no, Barry Kelly's coming up the inside and then tries to squeeze him, but it's already too late because he's already made the move. And it's just a massive blunder, basically, uh, from Truly. And more embarrassing for Renault because it's, 
yeah, you're right. I remember this clear as day as well because this it's not quite as extreme as Ferrari at Monza, but the French Grand Prix for Renault, all the big you know the big bosses there, the Renault big dogs, like uh, all these sponsors and everything. It was Renault's race, so. I don't think the Ferrari strategy masterclass was that embarrassing for him because obviously Schumacher had won all the races anyway. So um, that for them to lose that, it's like, oh, well, but, you know, second and third our home Grand Prix is a great result. But then for them to lose it in such a huge and embarrassing sort of mistake right at the end is what I probably made it the most frustrating uh, and quite an embarrassment for Renault at their home track which is probably why Flavio Briatore who's the boss was absolutely fuming about it yeah I can imagine uh, Flavio Briatore uh, not being the uh, the nicest person when no. when, when angry annoy him. no it's just weird because I think I remember watching the highlights truly defended fresh air into the uh, hairpin on the final lap like fully went defensive then <laughs> when Barrichello wasn't even going to try it there because he was a bit too far back and then when Barrichello was right on his tail he was like no no, I'm, I'm good, actually. I'm going to take the optimum racing line here uh, on the final lap of the race. Very strange. Um, but uh, alas, I'm sure it haunts truly uh, when he goes to sleep most nights. <laughs> well, it pretty much ended his Renault career because he was fired uh, from Renault a few races later. And that, I guess that relationship never really recovered uh, from from there. It wasn't like he was absolutely dreadful after it. He didn't, well, he didn't score any points, but a lot of it wasn't his own fault, really. Um, he didn't score any re- points after Manny Court. No. Uh, <laughs> and I guess that was their excuse, even though sometimes it was like him being crashed into or a retirement from like an engine failure or whatever. But um, it was just a way, because he stuck it on pole at Spa. But yeah, they just, it was their excuse. I think Briatore had already made made up his mind that I think truly probably could have won the next five races and he'd have gone, no, I'm not forgiving no. you for that. Manly uh, absolutely. Yeah, not. it still haunts him. So, yeah, he got fired. And then weirdly, do you remember who replaced Yano Trulli at Rene? It's so weird and almost just one of those forgotten things that you're like, I don't remember this happening. Who so replaced Yano Trulli? Give me a hint. Uh, a former world champion. Well, he was where world champion. I'm struggling. It's Jack Villeneuve. Oh, and it's really weird. Wasn't to he see terrible? Pictures. Yeah, he wasn't great. Um, he didn't score any points either. That doesn't um, even that hasn't even slotted into my memory as something. That that, happened. That's what I mean. You look you look at pictures uh, of Jack Villeneuve in that blue and yellow Renault, and it doesn't look right. It looks no. like an alternate universe that you just don't f- associate him with that car at all. And uh, I'd totally forgotten that had happened. A bit like Nigel that. Mansell at Ferrari. Yeah. Like, that just doesn't really... Yeah, it's one of those things where, yeah, Jack Villeneuve, he hadn't done the whole season and they just got him in for the last three races at Rene and he wasn't and particularly how did he do? great. 11th, 10th and 10th, so no points. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. Not Interesting. Great. Well, there you go. Uh, that is that time when Schumacher won with a four-stop strategy. Tell me final thoughts. <laughs> final <laughs> thoughts. Um, yeah, let's. Uh, I, I guess looking back at that era, uh, it made me realise how lucky we are now, and what a great place Formula One is to have such entertaining races, even when 
people say, oh, it's dull because we don't get a pass for the lead in 15 laps. People are bored. But my God, if you watch this era, <laughs> you do not realize how lucky you are because passes for the lead were non-existent, happened in the pit stops. There was rarely much overtaking. And um, yeah, well, I don't think we'll see. Uh, it's, it's an unusual to look back uh, on this on this era, but yeah, Ferrari strategy masterclass feels like a, a long time ago, but maybe they'll get back to this era one day. Hopefully. Leclerc we'll of. be doing that time when in 10 years time, Leclerc didn't stop at Silverstone. <laughs> Leclerc <laughs> pitted for inters in a dry race. <laughs> oh please don't the pain um and my final thought is absolutely love reminiscing on anything that Schumacher wins so uh long live Shumi love it <laughs> right thank you very much Tommy thank you everybody for for listening uh hashtag WTF1 podcast if you want to get involved in the discussion and potentially uh give us an idea for any other that time wins that you'd like to hear in the future give us a five stars give us some great feedback all that good stuff and we'll see you very soon for another that time when podcast Goodbye. Goodbye. I'm waving again. Why are we waving? I don't know why we're waving. We're waving to audio listeners.